get started this morning. Amen. We're going to continue on today with the second part of the series that we started last week. And uh, before we do that, though, why don't we all stand this morning and we're going to open in prayer. Praise the Lord, precious Jesus. We thank you for your word. Your word brings life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, Lord God. We can build our life, Lord, on your word. Your word does not change, Lord Jesus. As we study it this morning, as we learn and grow, Lord God, help us to absorb, Lord Jesus, what we're talking about. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives, Lord, so that we are changed to become more like you. We love you. Let your anointing rest upon each of our hearts today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to read our key verse again for the series that we're doing, which is uh, a heart of worship. Amen. And we're talking about how we want to have a heart of worship. Our key scripture is found in John chapter 4. Why don't we turn there this morning? John chapter 4 and verse 23. I've got it on my iPad because I've got the notes. But I'll let you turn there. John chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers, everyone say true worshippers, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So, by way of a reminder, we're talking about worship because God is worthy of worship. Amen? We are talking about worship because worship takes us deeper into our experience with God. And in that atmosphere, God can do more in our life in five seconds than we can do in a lifetime of trying to live for God and trying to do the right thing. Amen. Last week, we spoke about three main introductory points about worship, if you recall. The first one we spoke about was that worship flows from divine revelation. We will only grow our level of worship as we grow our perspective of who God is. Amen. So what we think about God is where our level of worship will be. If our opinion of God is quite low compared to everything else in this world, then we won't be able to worship him because we won't think he's worthy of that. But as our perspective of God grows, as our understanding of God grows, our level of worship will grow as well. Amen. That was the first point. The second point, we spoke about how praise is momentary, but worship is eternal. And we talked about how praise is based on the things that God has done in our life. So it's based on moments in time. Everything around us is based in time. We live our lives based in time, amen, but worship is based on the nature of God, so when we worship, we are elevating our perspective from the life around us to God himself, and we begin to see things like God sees things, amen, and, and so, and, and this, this is why you might recall, this is why 
you know, we can sometimes struggle to praise God when everything's going wrong in our life because it's based on the things that God is doing. But we should never have any problems worshiping God because it doesn't matter if things are going bad. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, amen. So our worship of Him should not change either. This is why Job was able to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This is why Job was able to say, naked came I into the world, naked I'll leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was worshiping God. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. He recognized that God was worthy of worship. So worship is eternal, but praise is momentary. And then the last thing. Actually, there's one right there on the, on the bench. That would do it. If you grab that one for me. The third point that we spoke about was, do we admit, thank you, admire, or adore God? Do we admit, admire, or adore God? And we spoke about how many people admit that there could be some sort of God, but they don't really acknowledge that He has the right to rule over their lives. We spoke about how some people admire God. You know, they like the things that God does, but, you know, they like the things that God does just like they like a good painting or they like a nice sunset or they like a particular football star, right? But as true worshipers, we are to adore God. To adore God is to understand that we have no right to pass judgment on whether we think God is good or bad. We just adore Him. We worship Him. Amen. It puts God in the right perspective when we adore God. So the question is, is do we love the Lord with all of our heart? our mind, our soul, our strength. Amen. That's what we spoke about last week. And then this morning, we're going to continue on this morning with our fourth point. You ready? God wants, does not want to make you a worker. He wants to make you a worshiper. God's desire is not to have more workers. God's heart is to have more worshippers. That's what God wants. It is the work of religion to make people workers, but it is the work of God to make you a worshipper. Because God knows that if He can make you a worshipper, by nature, you will want to be a worker. You will want to serve in His kingdom, amen. But a worker, by nature, is not necessarily a worshipper. Let's go have a look at a story here in the Bible. Luke chapter 10. Why don't we turn there this morning? Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start reading from verse Say amen when you're there. Say wait on me if you're not there yet. I don't hear anyone talking to me, so I think we're good to go. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he, he being Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Mary was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. 
Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. We see this idea that Jesus is looking for worshippers, not workers, in the story of Mary and Martha. Martha is busy working, she's busy serving, she's busy being a good host, she's cooking and cleaning and preparing and serving drinks and doing all sorts of stuff. But Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet in a form of worship, hanging on to every word that Jesus is saying. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good part. Amen? Martha was busy serving. Mary was busy sitting at Jesus' feet. Here's the point. When we work out of a sense of duty, we, sorry, we work out of a sense of duty, but we worship out of a sense of desire. Martha was not working because she desired to work. She was working because she felt like it was her duty. Mary wasn't sitting at Jesus' feet because she felt like it was her duty to sit at, her feet, at his feet. She sat at the feet of Jesus because she wanted to, because her heart desired it. And, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why God enjoys the worship of humanity more than he enjoys the worship of angels. This is just speculation, but I think God enjoys the worship of humans more than he enjoys the worship of angels. Here's why. Angels were created to worship God. It is their duty to worship God, and they worship God because they see the majesty of God. But I believe that it moves God's heart when someone who was lost in sin, who was stuck in the mire of this world, bound by chains of addiction and, and, and washed clean, and, and living for God and forgiven of their sins by the grace of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb. And when those people worship God, they worship God because they love Him and adore Him. And they recognize that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And, and I believe, again, this is just speculation. I believe that when the redeemed sing, when the saved begin to worship God, I believe the angels sit back because they don't know what's that, what that's like. They've never been in sin. They've never fallen from grace. They don't know what it's like to be forgiven. And when they see us worshiping, I believe they sit back and they must wonder, what is that like to, to be able to worship God out of love, not just out of duty, because they were created to worship. And, and, and I think this is why it's important to move past as a church, move past the realms of programs and, and plans and traditions and timetables. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think we need to have programs. They're important. But as a church, as individuals in our church, in our homes, in our cars with our children, we need to pursue an atmosphere of worship. This is especially important when we come together. We need to pursue. I'm really struggling this morning. We need to pursue an atmosphere of worship when we come together. We can't just come to church because we think it is our duty to worship God. But there needs to be a desire in our heart to say, I want to worship God. I get to worship God. It's my privilege to worship God. What a joy to worship God. There are many other things that we could be doing, but when we come to this place, we are choosing to worship God, and that needs to be our motivation. We shouldn't be getting up in the morning and being like, oh, well, 
I don't know, football game or church, football game or church. Oh, I guess I'll just go to church. Pastor will text me if I'm not there or he'll call me, you know, and then I've got to come up with a reason. No, we ought to be excited to be able to come and create an atmosphere of worship, amen. Here's why. Because duty will not keep you walking out on God, keep you from walking out on God. Religion won't keep you from wandering away from God. Legislations and rules won't make you hold fast to your faith. This just makes sense. Think about it. When the speed limit is 60 kilometers an hour, how often do you go over 60? Come on, be honest. Yeah, one, maybe two, three kilometers. Why? Come on. Sister Garrett's like poking Brother Garrett. Come on, Brother Garrett, tell the truth. Amen. We tend to, we, we look at the rules and we always seem to work out how far can we push them before we get in trouble. You know, how far can we go before we get caught? Who instinctively breaks whenever they see a police car? Checks, ooh, ooh, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm only two kilometers over their radars, don't pick that up, it's all right. Hello? Right? It's the same thing with God. When we live our lives by legislation and rules and out of a sense of duty, over time we will begin to start to push against the boundaries and to push against the limits and to try and find just how far can I go before I break the rules? How far can I go before I've stepped across the line? No, but when we worship God out of a sense of desire, then the, the rules don't matter. The legislation doesn't matter. What the Bible says is just we want to do it because we love God and we want to worship God and we want to live for God. Obligation is a poor substitute for worship. But if we can develop a heart of worship, one that is in awe at the majesty of God, at the wonder of who He is, not just the things He does. If we only worship God because of the things He does, what happens when He allows tests and trials to come your way? That's when you end up with the, you know, the, the parable of the sower. He puts the seed, I think it's in the stony ground, and it springs up. But there's no depth. The sun comes, the trials of life come, and it's scorched and it fades away. But when we develop a heart of worship, when we live our lives in wonder of who God is, not just what He does, it's not until we can join with David and, and say, when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have made. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that thou visited him? It's this wonder of who God is that will keep you from wandering away from God. Because it's based on who God is, not on what God does. We can work at being a Christian. There are people out there who are wonderful Christians. They work very hard at being good Christians. And we can work at being a Christian. But until we become a worshiper, our work will fail. Eventually it will fail. But when we become a worshiper, we are building our lives on something more solid. Because work is based on what God does. But worship is based on who God is. Amen. Let's move on. I read it earlier today. Our, our key scripture, John chapter 4. 
Let me just turn back there again. doing this on my iPad for the first time. It seems to be working okay. We read it earlier today, but the hour is coming now is true. Worshippers worship the Father in spirit and truth. Here's the key point I want to bring out now. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Here's my next point. You could be what God is looking for. You could be what God is looking for. One of our greatest needs, both as a church and as individuals, is to get a spiritual perception of what is important in life. Let's say that again. One of our greatest needs as a church and as individuals is to get a spiritual perception of what is important. We need to get our spiritual priorities right. We understand priorities in the natural sense. You know that you need to put petrol in your car. At some stage, you just know it's going to happen. So you prioritize to make sure you got money to put into the petrol tank. You know that you need to pay your bills. You know that you need to eat. You know that you need to shower. You know that you need to work to earn money to be able to live. Amen. These are priorities in our lives. And because we know we have to go to work, that's why we don't stay up late on Sunday night. Because we know we've got to get up early the next morning for work. So the priorities don't change. We don't go out and party all night Sunday night because we know, hang on, the priority is I've got to put food on the table for my family, which means I need to work. Amen. Hello? So we understand priorities in the natural sense, but so often spiritually, we don't have our priorities right. Hello? We only learn what is important and what really counts by being exposed to truth. And if you worship God in spirit and in truth, God will search for you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said it. The Father is seeking. Humanity by nature, we're, we're searchers by nature. You ever go down to the beach? Most times on most beaches, you will find somebody at some stage with a metal detector going around the beach searching for stuff. Searching for stuff. You know, archaeologists, they search for lost civilizations. The police are always searching for criminals. Who goes crazy when you've lost something and you search for it? Where did I put the keys? And not where I thought I put them. I do this all the time. You know, I don't, maybe it's just me. But when I don't want to lose something, I go to myself, well, I'm going to put this over here in this special place because then I'll remember where I put it. And then like an hour later, I'm like, where did I put it? I know I put it somewhere special so I wouldn't lose it, but I've lost it. Right? And so we, we, we search. Not only do we search for these kind of things, but as, as humanity, we search for success. People are searching for success. People search for happiness. People search for fulfillment, for security, for, for purpose. And, and we are created in the image of God. So it shouldn't surprise us to find out that God is a searcher as well. God is looking. God is searching. God's looking for something. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel. It's an interesting story here. First Samuel chapter 13. 
1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 13. Say amen when you're there. It says this, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Why? The Lord has sought. The Lord's looking for something. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now, this is a really scary thought. There's a warning here. We can be in the service of God and not be what God is looking for. I'm going to say that again. We can be in the service of God and not be what God is looking for. King Saul was anointed by the prophet of God. He was chosen out of everyone in Israel to lead the nation of Israel. He was called by God for a purpose, anointed for the task. But he wasn't what God was looking for. We read on in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and, and verse 1. You know, three chapters on, God is still on a search. In the middle of the mess that was Saul's life that was going on, God is searching. It's scary to think that God can look past you after looking in you and saying, no, you don't have what I need. I'll move on. Wow. That's scary, isn't it? That God could look into your heart, look into my heart and go, you know what? You don't have what I want. I'm going to move on. I'm going to find somebody else to do this. I'm going to find someone else to fulfill the call. I'm going to find someone else to take care of this for me. And so he looked past Saul. He looked past his family. And he said, you don't have what I want. You've lost it. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, we see what God wants. The Bible says in the New Testament, this is, says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, this is interesting. Because you read the story. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings all his sons out to see Samuel, starting at the oldest one and working his way down, and he brings them all down, and God's like, nope, that's not what I'm looking for. Yes, he's part of the children of Israel. Yes, he's under the Old Testament covenant. Yes, he's obeying all the laws, but that's not what I'm looking for. 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 And he goes through all of Jesse's sons until he gets to David. Now, all of Jesse's sons were talented. They were big. They were strong. They had skills. The olders, older ones might have had more wisdom than perhaps the younger ones, but God wasn't looking for talent. God wasn't looking for skill or ability. No, he told us what he looked for. I have found in Acts 13, 22, David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, what? Who shall fulfill all my will. God didn't care about talent. He just wanted someone who was going to fulfill his will. That was what was important to God. So when Jesus says the Father is seeking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth, he is expressing his will for our life. Mm. 
He wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth because that is what Jesus is looking for. So we need to be able to move past just working for God. This Christian life is not about the things that you do for God. It's about a life of worship of God. It's one thing to be involved in church and in the work of the church. But at some stage, we have to start moving into a deeper relationship with God. Amen. We can't just do things because, well, the pastor asked me, so I have to do it. Or I do this because I'm good at it. Or I do this because people are relying on me. These, these are all worker mentalities. Amen. But, but a worshiper who lives their life out of worship and from a heart of worship, they do these things, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a heart of worship. And that is what moves us from being workers to worshipers. Amen. You could be what God is looking for. But of course, the alternative is true too. You could not be what God is looking for. Because God wants worshipers. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's seeking for. That's what his heart desires. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. So the first point, we talked about how God's desire is not to make you a worker. He wants to make you a worshiper. Then we spoke about how you could be what God is looking for. God is on a search. And this morning, the last point I want to leave you with is this true worship will leave you naked. True worship will leave you naked. Now, what do I mean by that? That's interesting. Who was the best worshiper in the Bible? Some people say, well, it was David. He wrote lots of Psalms. He worshiped God. That's true. I'm not sure if he would qualify, though, as the best worshiper when you think about what worship truly is. It was the best worshiper? Maybe Moses. He certainly spent time in God's presence. Yeah, maybe. Here's who I think. I think the best worshiper in the Bible was Adam. Adam. There are two main things we know about Adam. The first one, we know that he was sinless before the fall. And because he was sinless, he was able to dwell in the very presence of God. Just like we will one day when we're in heaven. That's what Adam had. He just dwelt in the presence of God. There was, there was nothing there that kept him from God's presence. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that God spoke with Adam. Like God literally spoke with Adam. They had conversations backwards and forwards to each other. Not just prayer like we do, but a conversation where God, Adam talks to God and God responds. And vice versa. In Genesis 3, we see that God came to walk with Adam in the cool of the garden. God actually came to spend time with Adam, to walk through the gardens that God had created with Adam. That was the first trait we know about Adam. He was sinless. The second trait we know about both Adam and Eve, the, most, the one that perhaps everyone knows the best, is that they were both naked. They both had no need of clothes. Genesis 2.25 says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So the question is, is why was Adam created? Do you ever stop to ask that? Why did God create Adam? Why did God create any of this? Exactly. God wanted 
worship right from the very beginning. God wanted to have somebody who would worship Him and love Him, not out of a sense of duty, but out of adoration, out of, I just long to be in Your presence. God, this is just so good. And so when Adam fell, God went through the garden calling for him. Adam, where are you? God had lost the first thing that God had ever lost. He lost his first worshiper. He lost his first worshiper. And so was set into motion this this hunt that God is on for true worshipers. God still wanted people to worship him, even though he had lost his first worshiper. You know, before Adam fell, God had a relationship with Adam. There was communication between the two of them, and, and Adam wasn't afraid of the presence of God. You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, especially when I was younger, you know, we'd be afraid of the presence of God. What if God sees what's going on? We, we, we come to church like, you know, we get, get all dressed up, and nobody knows what's going on in my life. Surely God can't see it either. And we become afraid. Well, just, you know, I don't want to go to the front in case I begin to cry. You know, God might do something in my heart. Hello? Not looking at anyone. Amen. But Adam was not afraid of the presence of God. Why? He had nothing to hide in his life. There was nothing that was hidden in his life. There was nothing that he was afraid of God finding out. Amen. Nothing that he was afraid of God finding out. But notice... After Adam fell, what was the very first thing he did? He went and hid. He hid himself from the presence of God. He didn't want to be found in the presence of God. He didn't want God to come and be with him again. You know, so sin changes communication to confrontation. When sin enters into the heart of the worshiper, all of a sudden there's confrontation. There's no longer communication. Amen. So true worshipers are naked before God. Or in other words, if you have been cleansed from sin, if you are living a life of separation unto God, a life of holiness unto God, you've got nothing to hide from God. Your life is an open book. You don't care what God finds in your heart because you know already I'm in covenant relationship with God. I'm living a holy life, a pure life. And so what that means is that we are able as true worshipers to enter into the very presence of God with nothing to hide and nothing to hold us back. Amen. These are the people that just seem to be so close to God. They just seem really, really close to God. They have nothing to hide. They're transparent with God. They have no need to cover up their life. You know, this is why it's so important as we all stand this morning. This is why it's so important to live a life of holiness, to live a life of separation unto God. Because sin will block our access to God. Sin is what hinders us from being in God's presence. Amen? And we ought not to be afraid of the presence of God. As true worshipers, we ought to welcome God's presence in our life. 
We ought to welcome the opportunity we have to be in His presence. We ought to welcome Him searching our hearts because if sin is what stops me from being a true worshiper, then I want to know about it so we can get it fixed, me and God, as quickly as we can. So we can go back to worshiping Him. So I can go back to communicating with Him. So I can go back and not worry about what's going on in my life. So I can worship God. We're finishing up a little early this morning and that's okay. But I wonder if we could just close our eyes, lift our hands. And, and, and I, want, I want you to try and talk to the Lord right now. And I want you to get God to search your heart. You are a true worshiper. I am a true worshiper. God can do a work in our hearts though. And you know, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's not a rhetorical question. We don't even know our own hearts, but God can. God can know our hearts. And this morning as we begin to pray, precious Jesus, search our hearts, Lord God. We want to be true worshipers, Lord Jesus. We want to be worshipers in spirit and in truth, Lord God, because we recognize that that is what you are looking for, Lord Jesus. Lord, search my heart, Lord. Search the hearts of the people in this room right now, Lord God. Lord, we want to be holy and pure and righteous before you, Lord God, so that we can worship you with freedom, Lord. Worship you with all of our heart, Lord, with all of our soul, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us, God, to not try to hide things from us and not to try to hide things from you, Lord God. Help us not to try and deceive ourselves, Lord God. But Lord, help us to come to you, Lord, with an open heart saying, Jesus, search my heart. Jesus, you know what's going on. Jesus, I want to be a true worshiper. Praise you, Jesus. 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 This morning as we get ready to have our worship service. Let's be determined to create an atmosphere of worship. I'm looking around this morning and I don't see anyone who's unfamiliar. I think everyone who's here today calls this their home church. But we will have guests coming to church. They're going to come, they're going to visit. And when they come in, if there's no... The word that pops into my mind is hypocrisy because that's literally what it is. When we come into this place and we lift our hands and we know our hearts are not right, we can't create an atmosphere of worship. It's hypocrisy. We just can't. And we need to learn to maintain that state of holiness and separation unto the Lord so that we're not afraid of God's presence. Because when we come in and we begin to worship God and we begin to lift our hands and we begin to exalt Him, people who walk through those doors, that is the difference that they feel. Because they recognize, man, everyone in here, they've got nothing to hide. They're just worshiping God. And when they come in with their baggage and the things that's going on in their life, they can feel like, you know what, I can just be myself. I can just worship God. I can ask God to work on my heart like he's working on the hearts of these people here. Praise the Lord. 
Precious Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for our life class today. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've spent together, Lord Jesus, Lord, learning about you, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be true worshipers today, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, because that's what you are looking for today. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.